Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. No one is, 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 is more locked Thursday to Monday, no one is more locked into the NFL than First and Pod. Hosted by Danny Parkin and Andrew Filipponi. All right, well, tonight's and this morning's First and Pod is going to be a little different. Thanks for hanging out with us. Coming to you after Commanders and Giants. Controversial ending. I'm Danny Parkin. Subscribe, rate, review. Andrew Filipponi. Went to Carolina for Steelers-Panthers, and we don't know where he is. We had heard from him. We had been texting. He had commented on the rundown. Now he's a damn no-show. So I'm going to go solo, at least until he joins. No big deal. Again, subscribe, rate, review every team, every week, every game. We had a triple header on Saturday. We'll go quick on those games at the end. But uh, starting with Sunday Night Football, few things. It doesn't ever matter, but the NFL clearly has an officiating problem. Uh, Sports often have an officiating problem, right? We have more information at home on our HDTVs than they do in the building because we get a replay on every play and sports doesn't. And I think that there is a real argument that instant replay has had unintended consequences that have made it not worse overall. Like I'll still take the benefit of writing the egregious wrongs when it happens, but it's not so overwhelmingly positive that it's not even a debate. And in the Raiders game, Keelan Cole, was that a touchdown or not? I have no idea. And the best angle we saw of that play looked like it was from a camera positioned atop the Bellagio. And then the last two plays of Sunday Night Football, Terry McLaurin checks with the side judge on the touchdown, they would have put him down two with the two-point conversion pending. Twice, nothing from the side judge to confirm that he was on the line of scrimmage. They snapped the ball, immediately throw a flag. I know it's ultimately McLaurin's responsibility, but like, check with me, check with me. You see it all the time. You see every play. And there was some sort of miscommunication there, though replay showed McLaurin clearly was trying to communicate with the side judge. And then there was a blatant pass interference that isn't called. 
at the end of the game. Uh, I do think the right team won. I thought the Giants deserved it and overall outplayed them over the four quarters, even though I thought that Washington was the better team coming in. But, I mean, that's a massive game for in or out NFC playoffs. I don't think either team has a shot at winning in the NFC playoffs. And frankly, I don't really want to see either team in the playoffs. I'd certainly much rather see Detroit, Seattle scuffling uh, a bit. So you can't make as strong of an argument for my guy, Geno Smith anymore, but I really want Detroit uh, to get into the playoffs. Those two teams, not terribly exciting though. I will say tonight's game was more entertaining uh, than I thought it would be just, I mean, Dotson on Washington made some unbelievable catches. Saquon had a huge game. And then Thibodeau, man, as a, you know, as a first round pick, as a top five pick, like, what was it? 12, 12 tackles, three tackles for loss. As Mike Tirico called it, the grand slam. He had the sack, the forced fumble, the fumble recovery, and the touchdown uh, all on one play. And he made the crazy tackle uh on Heineke to stop him inside the five yard line when he was going in after he had dropped into coverage so like uh, he's an amazing athlete and uh you know we talk about the talent overall on the Giants roster having a ways to go but that dude looks like a foundational future perennial pro bowler uh type of piece so more entertaining game than I thought still would rather see Detroit in the postseason over any of those teams and horrid, horrid, horrid officiating uh, were my takeaways from Sunday Night Football. Obviously, we'll be going faster through these games uh, without Pony. So we can start with the other game that I just mentioned there, uh, given that it was the other game with a really weird officiating moment today on that Keelan Cole play. Raiders-Patriots. I mean, other than the, the Cole touchdown that maybe was, maybe wasn't, it's one of the craziest endings ever and one of the dumbest endings ever. And I don't know if it was a big enough game uh, for it to be referenced like Leon Lett when he dropped the ball before crossing the end zone. But a lot of the regional action had cut away. And so people were kind of catching that game and then obviously red zone. And now we just live in a highlight society. And it was the Patriots and a Belichick coach team like Jacoby Myers. Credit for speaking to the media. He said he was just trying to make a play. He said he knew the game was tied. He said he knew that the, you know, the instructions were not to lateral. He just tried to be a hero. If he's like, I saw Mac Jones. I thought he was open. Dude, you were throwing to the slowest guy on the field 55 yards away from the end zone. Like, what was Mac Jones gonna do? Do a forward pass? Belichick said that he couldn't, he didn't call for the Hail Mary there because he couldn't even reach the end zone from where the ball was snapped. Like, what were you doing? It was one of the most dumbfounding decisions ever, and it'll be remembered as such. But I did think this was interesting. When we talk about mistakes, uh, penalties, turnovers, boneheaded errors like that, and I'm saying when we talk about it, I'm talking about people in the media, it often is like, well, they're a poorly coached team. They get a lot of penalties, or you know, in basketball, they're a poorly coached team, they commit a lot of fouls, or they're a poorly managed team, they commit a lot of errors, and that always bothers me because it's like, do, do you think the 
the manager instructed him to not field the ball cleanly at short. Like, I understand that you got to teach fundamentals. You got to teach positional, fundamentally sound defense and basketball and game planning and all that stuff. I get it. But I love that one of the dumbest plays we've ever seen in football happened to a Bill Belichick coach team. And after the game, he's like, yeah, we talk about situational football every week. That wasn't the play. Obviously, we got to do a better job at it. We'll do better next week. But he knows that is 100% on the player. Like that is, We can make all the Patricia jokes we want and the Joe Judge jokes and the Patriots coaching staff and this Bill lost a step or whatever the case, bad general manager. He's nothing without Tom Brady. Bill Belichick knows the rules and he coaches his teams to be situationally smart. Like, But that play was just, it was on the player. And it's not in any way a reflection of the coaching staff. But I think that we often make it a reflection of the coaching staff when we talk about it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jaguars-Cowboys is the other game that ended in a walk-off, right? So Chandler Jones gets that weird play that, that ends the game for the Raiders. And then... Jaguars were down 27-10, storm all the way back, force overtime, win the coin toss, go three and out, and then force the pick six uh, of Dak Prescott, 40-34 Jaguars. Pony's not even on to stunt. We said on the last pod that we were going to do a mutually agreed upon on every Thursday pod after Thursday night football. We're going to pick some a bet for the Sunday slate that we can either eat crow on or, or brag on on Sunday. And uh, his recommendation, we agreed, settled on Jaguars money line at plus 175. So 1-0. Spencer, if you could keep track of this uh, over the rest of the season and through the playoffs, would very much appreciate it. But we're up 1.75 units already. 1-0 on the bet. Very nice. And I uh, thought this was cool. Rayshon Jenkins, the guy who had the pick six, I, I saw what he said after the game. He said he had never had a pick six uh, in the pros, in college, in high school, not even in peewee football. So his first ever pick six is against Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys in a walk-off in overtime uh, to win the game, which is pretty unbelievable. And he had a... Uh, he had an unbelievable day overall. 18 tackles and two interceptions for Rayshon Jenkins. No one in NFL history has ever done it. So that was just great. And uh, it was a cool moment for him. He clearly just like true, like childlike joy uh, for the moment that he had in that spot. And then Trevor Lawrence just continues his ascent. We were talking about quarterback prospects to build franchises around. And I thought that Lawrence and Fields, who have been competing against each other since like the sixth grade uh, as prospects out of Georgia, 
You know, Fields is amazing today, again, with nothing around them against the Eagles, and I'll talk about him at length when we get to that game. But Trevor Lawrence is just – the second half of this year, man, he is just – he's on a heater, and that dude has a rocket arm. It's like that old Peyton Manning commercial, like 6'5", lays a rocket arm. Uh, he just looks like a franchise quarterback. And uh, if you were in any DFS contest today, I hope you stacked him and Zay Jones, who had three of the touchdowns. So – Monster second half comeback, long drives orchestrated uh, by Trevor Lawrence. Pretty impressive. And you just feel like Jacksonville, six and eight. They won't make the playoffs in the AFC, but clearly trending in the right direction and have a good offseason, another year of development, continuity for Lawrence in Peterson's system. I always think that like that second year in a system for a young quarterback is so big. He just has to eliminate uh, the bad turnovers and bad spots. Like, He's thrown way too many red zone area interceptions this year, but still think that dude is very, very impressive. All right, so that's Sunday Night Football and Jaguars, Cowboys, and Pats, Raiders. Uh, Lions, Jets, to me, was the most interesting X's and O's game uh, coming coming into the day. And I honestly, I I thought it kind of lived up to it. It was... It was not the most aesthetically pleasing uh, the the entire time. But, like, so I was thinking about, like, the question was going to be just, like, what did we learn, given that it was the X's and O's matchup of the day, right? The the Jets' defense against the Lions' offense. couple of things. Quinn and Williams not playing clearly matters a lot, but it was still an under, and it was still a really low-scoring game, right? 20, 20 to 17. So I thought that that – speaks very well to just like the overall Jets defense. Like a couple of trends held, right? The Jets, their defense has been great. They held the Bills to 20 or less in, uh, you know, two of their last five games coming in. And so that trend continues. This is a a loss where they only scored 20 points. And now the Jets have some real work to do uh, in the AFC playoff picture. But also the Lions, just their offense, much worse uh, away from home. So that was the type of thing where that, that was another trend that continued. And even without Quinn and Williams, the Lions, who have been so productive on the ground with DeAndre Swift as like the home run hitter and Jamal Williams with, you know, 14 touchdowns, I think it still is, uh, on the season, they were under four yards of carry. So I thought that spoke pretty well to like the overall scheme uh, for the Jets and what the Lions uh, are not able to do away from home. And obviously they'd be playing a road playoff game if they get in and it's looking more and more like they're going to get in, they are on just an absolute heater right now. And they're so fun, right? They, they, they've now beat the Packers, the bears, the giants lost to the bills by three, crushed the Jaguars, beat the Vikings by double digits, and then one in New York. So they've won six of seven and it's at Carolina next week. So it's another road game, another grass field game and another, so I guess New York is that like terrible turf uh, where everybody gets injured, but slows them down a little bit uh, in theory. That's at least part of the theory as to why Detroit's worse on the road, I should say. And so good defense in Carolina, then home for the Bears, horrible defense, though they, again, outperformed expectation a little bit today. And then in Green Bay to end the season. So Detroit uh, go two and one the rest of the way, get to nine and eight, got a real shot. Uh, they probably would be in. Uh, the NFC playoffs, but then all of their trends would be working against them. Um, 
unless of course they they draw the Vikings, who they probably be favored over. So it's a uh, it's a weird spot, right? Like, like Lions in Detroit, or excuse me, Lions in Detroit, Li- Lions in San Francisco feels like they'd be drawing dead. Lions in Minnesota feels like they'd be a one point favorite. So pretty significant uh, range for them as like the seven seed de- or the six seed, depending on who gets the two and the three seed and like what the- how matchup the- dependent Detroit is if they get in. Because just eye test uh, over the course of the game felt like they outplayed the Jets and the right team deserved to win. And another thing we're learning, um, if anyone plays blackjack and you stay on like a low number and then you're hoping that the dealer, because he's shown a bust card, he draws out, you know, he's got like a a three or four or five, something like that showing. And you're hoping that he goes 10, 10. And then that first card's a 10. So he's got a four showing. He's now he's got a 14 and you just stayed with like a 12 or a 13, someone at the table inevitably is going to yell out like one time, one time. And then when that King spikes for the 24 and it pays the table, like, yeah, we hit our one time. It feels like the Lions have hit their one time like four times this year because Dan Campbell's got some big brass ones on him uh, with these fourth down play calls, right? And these these crazy situations He's not quite like what Brandon Staley was last year, but the play last week to Panay Sewell and then the backside tight end screen, uh, not to TJ Hawkinson because they trade TJ Hawkinson and they start winning all these games. And it ends up being the game-winning touchdown on fourth and inches. Just super aggressive and aggression being rewarded. And I know the analytical community will never – uh, you know, take a victory lap. That's not something that football nerds would do, uh, of which I count myself one of them. But it's just funny that uh, if those plays don't work, Dan Campbell is like the kneecap biting Neanderthal. And because they do work, oh, what a fun culture in Detroit. But no love for the aggression on going for it on fourth down. So I just thought that uh, – I don't know how many one times he has left. Like, it's weird. Like, the Lions could finish 9-8, and eight, make the playoffs, be everyone's darling pick to take a huge leap next year because they have the Rams pick coming back, so they'll add two first-round picks to it. But they might just have, like, a little bit of bad luck on those 50-50 calls uh, next year or injury bad luck or whatever, and they could regress. So it's weird because like Jameson Williams looks good. He got wide open for a touchdown that they didn't connect on. Um, I feel like they've had a lot of things go their way in the last seven weeks. And they also had close losses, right? I mean, they lost to Philly by three, Minnesota by four, Seattle by three, and Miami by four. So like they, it, Detroit's in a weird spot where they're seven and seven after starting uh, – one and six, but like a very optimistic glass half full, like maybe Homerish Lions fan could be like, yeah, but we could be, we could be 10 and four right now. But even in this winning streak, they've had some real 50, 50 things go their way, which is the NFL. Um, Everybody's so damn close to one another, but it's just going to be interesting when people talk about them next year. Uh, Are people going to look at them as like a team that got lucky or a team that got unlucky, but clearly there'll be a team that finished hot. So they're going to have a ton of buzz, but I think it's been uh, a little bit of both for them this year.